number of things that are special today to acknowledge that today is our fifth birthday. Uh, one of them was that we uh, gave one of our most faithful families and true blessings to River Church. We gave them the Sunday off. So the Yanos, who have been leading us in worship for about four and a half years, almost every Sunday during that time, uh, had, uh, had today off. So was that kind of nice, guys? Can we just share our love for the Yanos? And, and so it was uh, fun to have Ezra come down from Gordon College, uh, where he was studying music education, leading us this morning with his friends and fellow classmates who are also in the Global Honors Program studying music education. We have Juliana Larson with us and Hunter Hess. So thank you guys. If you have your Bibles this morning, please join me in the book of 1 John. We will be taking our text for the sermon this morning from 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. Here's the opening thought. Here's the big idea. Food preservation, keeping our food so that we can eat it after we buy it from the store, so we don't have to eat it directly from the store, is all about managing one principle over which we have no control. It's, a, it's just the way that, the God, that God designed the universe, and we've been managing food preservation this way from time immemorial. As long as there has been food, we have been preserving food with this one simple principle, which is cold air drops. When a storm moves in, a cold front moves in, that means that cool, dense air is moving into our atmosphere, replacing warmer, moist air and elevating it. As that warm, moist air is replaced by the cool, dense air, which is hugging the surface of the earth, that warm, moist air rises, cools, condenses, and then falls as precipitation. So we see this dynamic in our atmosphere, how our world actually works. That cold air is always the closest to the ground. I have a picture to show you of how your great-grandparents and mine preserved their food. The principle is very simple. Find the lowest, driest spot on your property and keep your food there. Who knows what this is a picture of? It's a root cellar. That's right. Our house was built in 1775. They preserved their food by placing it in this root cellar. It is one of the lowest and driest places on our property. And for many years, up until electricity, uh, actually up until another technology that Dan can introduce, this is where the food was preserved on my actual property at a home in Putnam. This is how our great-grandparents preserved their food. Your great-grandparents and my grandfather preserved their food in an icebox. Who knows how an icebox works? There's no electricity involved. It, it's two compartments, right? The top is where you put the block of ice that the horse would bring on the sled once a week. You would place that ice in the ice box. Cool air drops. Cool air falls down the sides of the food compartment and it is collected at the bottom in these drip pans. And once a week, as the ice would melt, you if you grew up during the time of my grandfather, who was born in 1921, 22? When was Pup born? 1920. Pup was born in 1920. I know about ice boxes because my grandfather told me about them. His parents, of course, used the root cellar. Pup had an ice box, and he would take the ice off the horse, put it in the top, it would melt, cold air would fall, preserve the food, empty out the drip pan, put new ice in. Then electricity came around, and in the time of my parents, of course, and also in my youth, we had a refrigerator with a freezer on top, right? 
freezer used to be on the top. Why? Because that's where you put the ice. And so when electricity came around and we had condensers and evaporators and pumps and we were able to make frozen air or cold air, naturally we thought it belonged on the top because then it would fall down and keep the food. But we learned in a more recent generation that the most efficient place to keep the freezer is now, of course, in the bottom. And because we have mastered how to control the fact that cold air drops, some of you actually have these crazy things called side-by-side refrigerators, where there's like freezing all the way down the whole side. Because we have managed through fans and pumps and circulators that we can control how cold air drops. So it all comes down, when you lose power, cold air drops. And so if you want to preserve your food, put it in a low spot, that's where the coldest air is going to be. That principle is inviolable. It's always been the way things work, but obviously we have new ways of doing things today. Join me as I pick up our text in 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. Uh, John writes, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the message that you have heard. Now, if you're talking about a first century apostle, John, if you're talking about a first century Jew, and he's talking about an old command, we would know that as the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. And so the natural question this morning is, his readers obviously know what he's referring to when he says, I'm not writing to you a new commandment, but rather I'm writing to you of an old commandment. His audience knew automatically to what he was referring. But this morning, to help us understand what John means by the old command that they were all familiar with, when we look in the pages of the Old Testament, we come across people like Abraham. And we know that as far as Abraham was concerned, that he was a man who lived by faith. Specifically, he placed his faith in God to keep the promises that he gave Abraham. Abraham was the first one who received tremendous promises from the Lord, and Abraham received those promises by faith. God is a God who makes promises. In the Old Testament, we see that God is a God of righteousness, and he empowers his people to be righteous because then we come across a man named Joseph, who through no fault of his own was placed in difficult situations, who was also a man of faith and placed his faith in God, who then preserved his righteousness. We know that God is a God of faith, that those who serve him, serve him in faith, that God is a God who keeps his promises, that God is a God who also preserves the righteousness of his saints. Continuing through the Old Testament, we come across a guy named Moses. Moses was a man who lived by faith. Moses expressed his faith specifically in God through the receiving of the Ten Commandments and the laws of God. We know that God is a God of law, that he has revealed his personality, he has revealed his temperament, he has revealed his heart for humanity through his laws. His people are to serve him according to his will, and they know how to do so because when they live by faith, they keep his law. And so Moses is a man of faith who gave us the law. And then finally this morning, by way of example of what does the old law mean, what does the old commandment mean? What is John referring to when he says, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but I'm writing you an old commandment? Finally, this morning, we know that David was also a man of faith. And that David worshipped the Lord with all of his might. And we have the book of Psalms, which is a record of 150 psalms that he wrote in his worship to the Lord. And so we know that David lived by faith, and his faith was expressed through his powerful worship 
of the Lord. So whether it was God keeping his promises in the life of Abraham, God preserving Joseph's righteousness in a difficult situation, Moses giving up the law, or David showing us how to worship, all these men lived by faith. The Old Commandment is faith. Live by faith. And it's expressed in beautiful ways throughout the Old Testament. Those are just four examples. But as you think of the Old Testament text, you can think of many more on your own. John continues in 1 John chapter 2, verse 8. Yet, I'm writing you a new command. Now he's got his audience's attention. We know what the old command is. It's to live by faith. But John says, I'm writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. John is encouraging his first century audience that even as you place your faith and you live by faith under the old command, here's the new commandment that I'm giving to you. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's why. The New Testament tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, regarding the promises of God, that every one of God's promises is yes in Him. When it comes to the promises of God, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, all of God's promises are then enabled and answered by faith because of Jesus Christ. When it comes to our righteousness, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24 says, But now apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets, that is, God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but they are justified by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25 says, God presented Him, Jesus, as a propitiation through faith in His blood to demonstrate His righteousness. While Joseph was a great example of righteousness, we find in the pages of the New Testament that when we place our faith according to the New Commandment in Jesus Christ, that our righteousness is complete because of the power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When it comes to the law, you know what Jesus said. Don't assume that I came to destroy the law, law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy them, but to fulfill. When it comes to the code, when it comes to obedience, when it comes to meeting God's moral requirements for what it means to serve Him, to understand what His personality and His love is, that perfect obedience comes when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, because He did not come do away with the law, but he actually perfectly fulfilled it. And so while we have a great example in Moses, it is complete in Jesus Christ. And finally this morning, the New Testament says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, regarding our worship, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything 
nothing to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Again, it was a fantastic example of what it means to worship the Lord, and we know that he worships all the strength and all his might. There were some who worship. We worship the Father through the Son. We place our faith in Jesus Christ. So what is a new command? Faith in Jesus. I'm writing an old command which is known for all of its power and effectual for the good that we live by faith. Now he's writing a new command that everything we knew about the old command which is living by faith has been perfectly completed by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And in conclusion this morning, John says this leads in one direction. This leads to one place. In the text, he continues. We have an old command. We have a new command. And this is the result of what it looks like when we live by this new command. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John says when we struggle with fulfilling the old commandment and we find the joy and the peace and the satisfaction that comes by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, understanding that he completes and fulfills every requirement that God ever made for his people, it leaves his people in one place. They look around and they find other people who have been in the same or similar types of physical states. And the love that that group has for each other is unlike anything the world has ever seen. John has this powerful teaching about the old commandment, which is full of familiars. The new commandment, like a cruise line, which is gospel teaching, how Jesus Christ is the completion by placing our faith in him. And then he says that when we understand this, it's obvious to everyone who sees it because the love for that group of people is actually unique. It's actually amazing. And for those who say they have that love but don't, who know the old commandment and the new commandment but do not have great love for their fellow brothers and sisters of faith because they're actually walking in the darkness, they haven't put in their faith or faith in Jesus Christ as their command. Maybe they're still walking in it with the old commandment and maybe they're having a hard time in their walk at all. Faith in Jesus empowers great love for each other. As we move into a time of communion, today is our fifth birthday, and I guess what I would say is that we've gotten off to a great start. The, the stuff that needs to happen to facilitate our time together has happened, and it's become a beautiful system. And men and women have risen up to be team leaders, and, things, and many of you have risen up to be volunteers, and things go pretty well week by week, and our times together are sweet. And I feel very, very grateful that the first five years that we have seen the Lord provide for us in this way. But what it means is that for the next five years, we should be able to focus our attention on the things that really matter, which is meeting the needs of our brothers and sisters, of our fellowship of faith, and, and sharing the gospel as well. Because two things should be true. Our love should grow for each other as we grow in our depth and understanding of faith in Jesus Christ. And we should grow in numbers as that faith is expressed in our community. So happy birthday. Love you guys. And I can't think of a better way to wrap up our time together this morning or at least this sermon part of it by sharing communion. So Ed, would you come on up if you please?
it's very simple. If you've never had communion with your church before, uh, it's the idea of communion is much bigger than your church. It's very simple that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you are familiar with the new commandments, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then the communion table is set for you. We will distribute uh, two elements, a little piece of bread representing the body of Jesus and a little cup of grape juice representing the blood. They will come back together for when the elements come around. You can take two cups at once. Uh, as you receive, you're going to play for us a little bit. As the elements are being distributed, you will have a, a season of private and quiet prayer. It is a time of repentance and confession and uh, enjoying the Lord's presence among us. If, if you are not a Christian, by all means, you're free to let the elements pass or to simply say a prayer like this as you join our hands. And it sounds like this. Heavenly Father, I have been living according to my own life, my awful wrong turns. And I now see through the power of your word that your son Jesus Christ makes it possible for me to have something with you that I cannot have on my own because you deserve that Christ. And so by faith this morning, I place my faith in Jesus Christ, asking for forgiveness of my sins, and that I would be the recipient of your great promise, that I would have a life that is marked by righteousness, that I would have a life that is marked by obedience that worthy, and that my heart would be filled with worship like yours. I ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Scripture says if you have prayed a prayer like that, and that you have acknowledged with your mouth and with your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you've received something to take home. And if you're not comfortable, then let the elements pass by, because you know what? These are people who are full of love, and they understand that communion may not be for you, and that that is okay. So I'm going to ask the Lord's blessing on the rest of our time together, the elements to be distributed. If you will hold the elements, uh, I'm going to uh, read a verse of scripture and pray, and then we'll take communion together. Would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, you have provided something for us today through your faithfulness that we cannot provide for ourselves. There is no bridge that takes us to eternity, no road that takes us to eternity. There is no rocket that takes us to eternity. You take us to eternity. And not only have you promised us eternal life, you have also promised us that our life today will be filled and marked by the power of your Holy Spirit who continues to restore us back. But in faith and with great love for each other, in obedience to your word, we receive these elements. We pray, Father, that you will increase our love for each other and for this community. We ask these 